Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Antonio Salazar Hobson. And he published a really fascinating memoir on March 31st, 2022. The title is Antonio, We Know You. And he's had a remarkable life. He started as a really in the agricultural field, picking fruit and cotton as a young man of uh, the 11th child of 14 children. But he's going to talk more about this arc. Uh, he's met some really remarkable people and, and done remarkable things. So I'm glad that he's agreed to the interview. So Antonio, and he's going to do some readings from the book as well. But Antonio Salazar Hobson, welcome to the show. Thanks for agreeing to the interview. What, uh, well, thank you so much. It's a great honor to be with you today. Uh, your coverage for decades of very uh, progressive causes is, is very impressive to me. Um, my name is Antonio, Antonio Salazar Hobson, and I've written a book entitled Antonio, We Know You. It's a book about family love, uh, family reconciliation, Chicano cultural pride, the labor movement, faith all beginning with my kidnapping at age four and a half in front of my siblings by, by, by white pedophiles. And, uh, and obviously that, that led to, uh, you know, several years of, of uh, intense difficulties, but, but I survived. And, and I just wanted to say that the only reason I survived is that my mother, Petra, uh, Salasari Bailon, uh, took extra care of me because I was a mute child. And uh, she showed me how to love. And but for those four and a half years, uh, without having that, I would have not been able to make it. But that was my North Star that, that assured me that, that I would come home. Uh, and um, I'd, I'd just also like to say that at the outset, the title of my book comes from Cesar Chavez and uh, who took me under his wing at the age of 15. He inspired me to, to become a labor lawyer and I was able to work with him until his death for almost two decades. And my book is, uh, has a foreword by Jimmy Santiago Baca, the most renowned uh, Chicano writer and poet of the last 40 years. And he has supported my, my book from, from its beginning. So and maybe we could start at the beginning. What was it like growing up in that family in an agricultural section of Arizona? Can you talk about before your abduction, what uh, life was like? 
Sure. I mean, what happened is, is that um, I was in the 11th and I was utterly accepted by all my siblings and, and, and my mother. And, and even though uh, she loved them all equally, she, she needed to spend extra time with me. Uh, you know, we came from an abysmally poor family, 40 years picking fruit on the national circuit. I, I worked for four seasons picking fruit and, uh, and we lived in poverty for, for the entire period. Uh, we ended up in, in Phoenix, uh, Arizona at, a, at, you know, living in, in a set of projects and that gave us our first home after all those decades. So, uh, you know, I, I, I spoke only Spanish. I was, I was involved with all the games of my siblings and I never felt any uh, discouragement for, for my current uh, uh, condition. And that's how my family treated me. So I was, I was very lucky. And um, so, uh, so- Do you wanna read from that chapter one? Sure, I'd, I'd, be, I'd be happy to. Um, Excellent, that'd be great. Yeah, you know, chapter one is entitled A, a Cherished Child, and it is the defining touchstone by which I live my life. It recounts the breakfast scene and a physical description of my mother as well as her marriage uh, at age 13, which was uh, illegal. So here it is. My earliest memory is a happy one. This recollection became the touchstone of my life, leading me back to Petra and the love she taught me. Petra normally dressed at home in house dresses, but for field work, she dressed like all the other farm worker women, wearing khaki pants, long sleeve shirts, and a large brim straw hat upon her head. Except for the hat, these work clothes were the clothes that Petra wore while she served as breakfast. To me, my mother was at her most beautiful in these early morning hours. Petra was small, maybe five foot two inches tall, with the womanly body that by then had given birth to 11, with three more on the way. Uh, Petra had been married since she was 13 years old, uh, illegally, to take care of my, my father's six-year-old son. And then they began uh, picking uh, in the fields uh, very early. Uh, my my brother at age eight, and and she and she also joined in with with him, uh, and um, so uh, you know, as I was saying earlier, um, that that she had a broad face with high cheekbones, dark brown eyes, a ruddy smile, and an effortless embrace that reached my heart when she hugged me. Of course, she was the mother to us all. But to me, as the family's mute child, excuse me, but, but, but to me, as the family's mute child, she took ex extra time. It, her kindness came naturally to Petra. I would have but these four short years that I spent with her when she taught me to love. Although I have thousands of images of, of my childhood with the Salazars, it is this pre-dawn scene in the kitchen, the image that I could turn to as a touchstone that I was never broken. And, and, and that is really um, the amount of love that, that I received from her 
uh, prior to my kidnapping. And I was kidnapped at age four and a half in front of most of my siblings uh, by, by a white um, uh, pedophile couple, uh, John and Sarah Hobson. And um, so I, I was. They kind of, they, sorry to interrupt, but they groomed you and your family too. So they started some type of. Yes. What, like the classic yes. steps, like uh, hi, meet your family. Can we take him for the weekend? That kind of thing. Yes, absolutely. They, they groomed my family for six months. You know, they, they, they were bilingual. Uh, they tried to give us and or shower us with gifts to, to further entrust them. And, uh, and, but when I was stolen, um, I had already been affected by their treatment. And, um, and as I said, and what was important uh, to me as a, as a poor uh, monolingual child coming from a very poor family, uh, there was no effort uh, by the Arizona Police Department, Phoenix, uh, to to make any uh, search for me, and that is so. Um, that is actually the same story that most children of color and their families endure. Had I been a white child, um, then the level of investigation would have been enormous. They would have put tremendous resources in trying to find me, and I would have been found. But because of, of the racism. Uh, that was not uh, uh, mine to have. And this was in the early 60s, correct? Yes, uh, I, I, was, uh, I was taken in 1961 and, um, uh, and uh, so, and, and I was with the, the Hobsons basically through, through 1971. So 10 years, they took you to California to Hemet, right? A different jurisdiction? Yes. So, and uh, I mean, really endured. You really endured horrible abuse. Yes, um, I read the book, and I mean, I'm sorry that you went through all that. Mm -hmm. So you endured for a time, but they were kind of networked into kind of a pedophile network. So this this is kind of this trafficking that's happening today. Even happened back then in the '60s. Yeah. So you were trafficked. You were abducted and trafficked, right? Yes, that's correct. And I mean, and, you know, one extreme example is, is I was sent away for three summers to a ranch by myself, which was a front for pedophiles, and just abandoned there and picked up three months later. And that occurred for three full seasons. Um, so, you know, my, my uh, uh, John and Sarah Hobson, I'm sure made plenty of money off my services. And, um, and it was it was only after uh, my abuse was discovered uh, by a by a gay ranch hand uh, who said uh, this was unacceptable and he stopped it overnight and that was my first intervention in my life. And you kind of had guardian angels. You were very fortunate. You had a number of guardian angels and help helpers that helped you on the way. Right? Yes. Do you agree with that? Yes, I, you know, what, my only choice uh, when I was a young boy was to run to whatever uh, Chicano family I could find and get a taste of my culture and remind myself of my Spanish 
and that was important. Uh, but um, you know what? What you know? What was more important was that I had a North Star to survive. I was absolutely convinced that with my mother's love and all the thousands and thousands of images that I carried with me of my family, um, that uh, that I had plenty to 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 keep me occupied and and. And I also needed to find a way to communicate with my family daily. And I have a section here that is about, um, it is, which is about the uh, Adobe burial grounds. And, and I'd like to read it to you now if I could. Please do. Please do. Okay. Um, you know, this, this story recounts how I buried and reburied uh, my family every day. Uh, as a way to remember them. So it starts like this. The most visceral the, the most visceral the most visceral memory I have at the Adobe House begins at my favorite orange tree. It was old growth, a mighty tree to me, with an unusually large canopy. I used my canopy to make my own private room away from the Hobsons. It was a place where they never came to visit. I sought solace not knowing what to do, but finding my mind and my heart turned towards anything that might help me get in touch with them. I would sit under the orange tree and eventually I came up with the idea of collecting the spare and broken adobe bricks alongside my home to place under my tree. They were heavily weathered after decades of exposure, old and crumbling. And I used these bricks in a way that, that absorbed most of my attention every day for two years. I started to form my own collection of, of abandoned bricks into an arrangement that symbolized each member of my family. As I began to bury the bricks near the trunk of the orange tree, uh, I miss my family so intensely that I wanted to have a way to regularly visit and talk to them, to let them know I was still alive, that I missed them, and I would be coming back. And as I began to build what eventually formed in my head as a burial yard, the inspiration to do so came from some unknown place and quickly took over my imagination. I made sure that I had enough bricks for each family member, 13 siblings and both parents. I laid them out without names since I did not know how to read or write Spanish. I made holes in the ground deep enough to hold each brick I then finally buried each one by placing them in the graves using only two inches of um, ground cover, then patting the earth down upon each one and ending the day. I, I, I initially buried them in a very haphazard family fashion. When I returned to the tree the next day, I began the process all over again. It was deeply reassuring to me and quickly developed into a compulsion. Um, as my burial imagination evolved, I realized that I needed to organize the actual burial ground a bit better. Suddenly it became clear to me that each of my parents needed to have their own place. I was, psycho I was psychologically compelled to engage in the reburial of my family every day, a ritual that both soothed me and connected me to my lost Salazar family. Once I realized the need for better reorganization, I 
I got an unexpected calmness of mind. I was no longer overcome with daily anxiety. I never told the Hobsons about my burial ground, my daily unearthing and reburial and reburial of that, or that I talked with my family during uh, with these adobe bricks. It was not until we left the adobe house to move to a house in an isolated uh, olive orchard that I was forced or able to end these efforts. I never repeated the burial again for my family after we moved. I missed my burial grounds, but I'd found out about our move a few days earlier. I used the extra time to make my burial grounds would be safe when I left. I believe I had taken care of my family and I willed myself to endure until the time I could return to them. I never considered a burial space for myself, for I believed I would soon be returning to Petra's embrace. So that's kind of how you adapted or managed to the loss of your family too. It wasn't just, it was your mother and your brothers and sisters, right? Yeah. You missed that belonging. Yeah. And, 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 and it was a vehicle for me to tell them every day where I was, how I was doing, and that I remembered all of them. Uh, and, and, and that was the best solve that, that naturally came to me. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. So you lived with these, the Hobsons, Sarah and John, and they moved to what, D.C.? And you ended up in Lodi as an early teenager, correct? Yes. Can mm -hmm. you talk about what it was like going to school and how you kind of adapted to kind of some of these newer challenges as you were getting back into academics? Well, uh, you know, what changed the, uh, to the entire uh, life story of mine is that um, is that I met Cesar Chavez when I was 15 years old, when I'd already picked uh, the first of three seasons out of four uh, as a farm worker. And, and he gave us an occasion to, to meet him at a labor hall in advance of, of the actual rally. And so many of our students from, from my high school attended. And we were so impressed with his candor and his, and his gentleness and sort of the miracle of Cesar Chavez was right there in front of us. He then invited us to, to, to become uh, his student bodyguards uh, for that rally. And afterwards he asked us if we would do that uh, for, for a long time. And so I volunteered for three years uh, throughout the Central Valley, attending every rally with about 40 students. And we were so proud of ourselves uh, with the honor of being asked to, to defend him. And this was a very common uh, uh, approach that, that Cesar used. And, and I think it really helped uh, you know, pre prevent you know, any early assassinations, I would say. So it was it, it was something uh, uh, 
which which was just so important to me. You know, you know, Cesar, uh, I met him when I was 15. I had worked for a, a year volunteering for the UFW. And when I was 16 years, years old, he took me aside and he said, Antonio, I think you should become a labor lawyer for the labor movement. I think you can do that. And I'd never had a dream before other than returning to my family. And I ran with the dream at the very instant he, he told me to do so. And I ran with that dream for years uh, and, and, and achieved what he wanted me to achieve, uh, which That's was amazing. to be a a labor lawyer for the, for the labor movement. Uh, but I, do you mind reading that section, Antonio? You, you, there's a section in here from chapter 15 about meeting Cesar Chavez. Cause I don't know if people talk about him enough. Maybe you could. Well, uh, you know, um, I mean, I can give you a summary of it, but I would, okay. particularly, I, I would particularly like to emphasize uh, the other major factor that, that Cesar, uh, uh, offered me in my life, which transformed my life. Uh, you know, I, I met him in, in April of 1970 for the first time with a group of students. And when he arrived, he, he said that he wanted to hear five minutes of introduction from each of us. And I told him the same story I had been telling people for years, that I'd been adopted by, by John and Sarah Hobson, because that's what I was forced to say but that I had a real family and my family had picked fruit and vegetables for 40 years and I had as well. And, uh, and, and I let him know that I had no ambivalence as to who my family was. And he must have seen something in me that I couldn't see as a young man. And I think he saw promise. And then when I was uh, 16 years old, um, you know, he made that, that radical change in my life. And, uh, and that's the first major, major benefit I, I, I got from Cessna. The, 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 the equally interesting story is my having to ask Cessna for a very serious favor that had he not granted it to me, I would have not have been able to finish uh, the rest of my education at UCSC. And uh, this is the scene where I asked Cesar Chavez whether he would allow me to work as a Teamster-represented cannery of 2,200 seasonal jobs with high wages in Lodi, California. This is where he said to me, Antonio, we know you and that you'll always be with La Causa. He said, finish my education, which allowed me to, to fulfill my dream uh, that he wanted for me. So this is uh, how it begins. After working for Cesar three years, including picking strawberries on the only UFW ranch during the 1973 us strike, I needed a key favor founded by a few of his members, maybe five or six farm workers, Cesar seemed relaxed and happy to see me again. I was nervous. Cesar paused as if he knew I had an important question to ask him. I was in front of his other workers, realizing there was no opportunity to meet with him privately as I was 
as I asked him my core problem. I tried to calm down to handle my questions with dignity and not to fall apart in front of him. I reminded him of the huge uh, Pacific Coast Producers plant in Lodi. And I told him that without getting this job, I would not be able to finish my education, period. And then I asked him whether I could join the Teamsters so I could secure enough money for my education. I had no idea as to what he would think of me once I made that request. I steeled myself for the full range of potential reactions. I knew that once he said no, I would fully comply, and I told him that. Cesar looked at me quizzically and with affection. This is the, the last response I ever anticipated. He said in front of the other men gathered there, Antonio, we know you. He was so quietly enthusiastic with me, completely unperturbed by my question. He seemed pleased at my deference and that I was willing to accept any decision that he might make. Cesar said that the UFW would continue to be my family and that he knew I would continue to fight for like Alsa. In that dramatic matter of fact moment, my future ability to survive college uh, was in the balance. Cesar told me to go ahead and sign up for the, for the work at, at the cannery and use the money I earned to finish my schooling. I was astounded. I had never anticipated a positive answer. Cesar, after knowing me for three years, had in fact full confidence in my loyalty. So that was an enormous favor to ask. You know, the Teamsters were our nemesis. And, um, uh, but that's the only solution that I had at that moment. Uh, you know, I couldn't, I could not uh, work for just a, a minimum wage. And, uh, and but for that, uh, I would have not made it all the way through. So that allowed you to make it to UCSC, correct? Yes. Uh -huh. and can you talk? Yeah. What was that like? I mean, yes. Lodi, I mean, going back to that central uh, area, it was much different back then than it is now. Very racially segregated. And Caesar is very dangerous work, what he was doing, right? Yes. And, and you know, it was very poor conditions, uh, you know, uh, ill treatment of workers, generally not adequate water, generally not bathrooms. And, uh, you know, and as an example of of the wages I, I, I made, when I was picking strawberries during the 1973 lettuce strike, I was paid $2 an hour and for an entire uh, box of 12 strawberries, I made 20, 25 cents. <laughs> and, you know, you can imagine that doesn't go very far. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. But, 
but I lived with a very large Mexican family and, uh, and that was very helpful. Uh, you know, lived, lived in a trailer in the backyard. And then in the late afternoons, I conducted an, a, uh, a independent study on, on migrant housing. And I visited every flop house, uh, in Salinas. Uh, and, uh, and I would, I, you know, I would just add that, you know, I knew about flop houses. I'd been living in a three and a half dollar motel under 200 square feet for four years that was only visited by truck drivers and their prostitutes. So, uh, you know, it, it was, uh, it was small quarters with, with, with the crazed Hobsons. Right. So you came a long way to get yes. out of that to UCSC, yeah. which is, yes. I mean, Santa Cruz is really light. Uh, can you talk about how your education kind of changed your, I mean, you were mute at one point and uh, you worked your way up to uh, academic skills, right? Or Yes. Yes. You know, I, I had lost my muteness by the time I was seven and it was obvious that I had a, a, a very ready mind. And um, so, uh, you know, you know, one aspect of the book is, is uh, when I just turned seven years old by one week, I had never uh, and, uh, attended, you know, pre-K, kindergarten, first, second, third, fourth grade. And the Hobsons had me placed in the fifth grade at age seven, uh, simply because I could read at that level. And that was a disaster. And so, uh, but you know, that's the level of of pushing that that they always forced upon me. Right. So, um, and, can you and, talk? Yeah, please continue. Yeah, and and with regard to UC Santa Cruz, uh, you know, I had an excellent education. Uh, I was able to uh, to uh, get a degree in in Latin American studies with honors. Um, I was able to, uh, to win the Danforth, uh, which provided me, uh, you know, many years of education in graduate school. Uh, but I, I left graduate school because I decided I was in the wrong place. I only wanted to be a labor lawyer. And that's, and that's when I left and, and uh, joined uh, UC Davis. Right. So you stayed in Central California, one way or another, one other place. Yes. I, yes. Our, our picking range was 50, 50 miles in, in either direction. So, you know, we, we, we picked everything other than grapes and, of course, lettuce, um, from vegetables to pears to cherries and, and walnuts. So... Can you talk about what it was like working for the UFW and kind of what uh, rights and benefits you were tr uh, fighting to obtain for the workers? Well, sure. I mean, you know, I'm a, I'm a union side labor lawyer, and I've negotiated many, many, many contracts with international uh, unions on behalf of their employees. And we just wanted to have some modicum of those rights. And, but the most important thing we wanted 
to do was to be recognized as a union. And, and so the UFW was, you know, became the defining vehicle for Chicanos in this country, became part of the entire progressive movement. You know, we were fully involved in, in the general labor movement. And, you know, I coordinated, um, you know, many, uh, many campaigns where, where the UFW was, was the lead uh, uh, participant. And what was it like working alongside Cesar Chavez? <laughs> well, it was a dream. <coughs> Excuse me. You know, I had, I'd always heard of him as everyone had. I couldn't believe that I had the good fortune to meet him. I couldn't believe that he actually saw something in me that I could not see for myself. And, and that he just seemed resolved in my promise. And he also knew I was an extremely hard worker. You know, also at, at, at this time, you know, I was, you know, I was student body president of 4,000 students and, and was doing well uh, academically. Right. So, so, I mean, so you spent a lot of time that, and you were able to make it back and connect with your birth family, right? Yes, I was. Uh, it was a, it was a 24 year search. My only goal was to see my mother Petra alive. And of course, uh, get to know my siblings. And she was in fact alive. And I had worries about meeting her when in fact they were, they were for naught. All she wanted was, you know, her hope that I spoke Spanish, which I did, and that she could instant, that she could instantly recognize me as, as her son. That took about 20 seconds when she met me. And uh, it, it was just a very precious, kind moment uh, moving. And um, so, uh, so I, I at least reached that far. Interesting. And you, you're kind of a, a longer in life convert to Judaism too, right? Yes, yes, Did I've been a convert. For, yes, I've been a convert for thirty years. I, I have married into an entirely Jewish family. I'm, I'm part of the uh, Reform uh, tradition, and, uh, and it, and it was a faith that seemed to fit all my needs and values. And uh, and I've been treated kindly by by the Jewish uh, community as well. So uh, it it took me a few years to think about it, but it's now been thirty years, and uh, it has become my faith. And it's you've just had an amazing arc of your life, from really just the darkest. And I when I think of your story, I think of other people who are in circumstances similar to your childhood, like this trafficking is still happening, which is really sad. And you're really a fortunate person to, to thrive at the other end. So yeah. hopefully but, people can learn from this story. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I wrote this book for two reasons. 
One was to express my love for, for my mother. And then the other reason was to uh, reach out to, to children who have suffered abuse of any kind, to remind them to protect their hearts, to remind them. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. That they can still love in their future and, and to not be fully controlled by by what happened to them. That doesn't mean that that we don't go through a great deal of pain, but to have the hope always that it will get better. And I'm and it is my belief that my example uh, will give uh, people strength. And uh, and that was a, a big purpose uh, behind my book. You know, I'd I'd like to emphasize that that my book is is not uh, focused on on sexual uh, issues. Uh, yes, there is a, a, a very severe period uh, of early uh, childhood uh, abuse, but that is just, it's just a mere backdrop. You know, my stories about pride in my culture, perseverance, you know, f- uh, return to family, and, and, and my 40 years with them. So, uh, you know, I, I, I just hope that, that my book is inspirational and that people, you know, use what occurred to me as a background, but then to really um, get down, you know, into the sort of uh, uh, hopeful moments which actually dominate the book itself. Yeah, great. I mean, it's really an amazing book, amazing story. And the best place to get it right now is on Amazon and there's a hardback coming out. There's a lot more in this book, a lot more stories about your marriage and kind of uh, your career. The best place Amazon right now and the hardback's coming out, you said? Yes, that's correct. And exactly. Gotcha. And so you can next month. And do you have social media or any, if anybody wants to contact you or ask a follow-up questions? Yes. You- yes, I, I, I do. I've, uh, uh, you know, people can, can t- contact me at a Salazar HB at Comcast.net. I, I have a full um, social media team and an advertising team who served me well. So, uh, you know, so I'm, email I'm, is the best way to contact you. Yes, exactly. Okay. Well, thanks so much for your time. Thanks for writing the book. It's really inspirational. Again, the title is Antonio, We Know You, a memoir by Antonio Salazar Hobson. Thanks so much for okay. your time. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate being here. All right. Awesome. Thank you. Stay there. Stay there. 
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.